Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 181 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thank you so much for joining me. I have an exciting episode for you. I'm joined by two other experts in emotional eating and lasting weight loss. And we have recorded a special roundtable discussion about some of the most common sticking points that our listeners and our clients end up getting hung up on with weight loss. So you're getting advice, not just from me in this episode, but with other weight loss experts. So I am joined today by Dr. Carrie Williams and Dr. Matea Rentia, both together run the Weight Loss Coaching Collective, and they're both the hosts of Weight Loss for Life podcast. And we recorded this episode as a special episode that we are using on both of our podcasts. It's a slightly different format of interview than you might be used to, but there's so much good information in this because we chose some really common questions and then we all answered them. So you're getting slightly different views, but very complimentary views on the most common sticking points. So a really powerful episode to listen to. And right now, when you're listening to it, uh, the doors for Stress Eating SOS are open for the April group. So that means if you're a physician listening to this, if you like what you hear, and if this information kind of opens your mind to a different possibility for your own weight loss or finding peace around food, or we do talk about binge eating in this episode, if you're a physician who has binge eating, Stress Eating SOS is the program for you. I can help you. And this program will help you change your relationship with food, but also change your life. I love stress eating SOS and I love the coaching approach because we go in with the intention of feeling more in control around food, not having to obsess around food anymore, losing weight. And we come up with all of that. Plus our days are better. Life feels better. Things don't bother you as much. You enjoy work again. You enjoy your time with your family more. All of that as a side effect. And that's why coaching is so powerful and why I really hope that you consider joining me inside Stress Eating SOS. Head over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash SOS. The doors are open right now if you're listening to this when it's released and will be open for the rest of the week. So you need to head over there right now to check it out and save your seat in the April group. I'd love to have you join me. All right, let's get going to the interview. Hello, welcome to the podcast this week. We have a really exciting episode for you. We have three weight loss coaching experts all gathered to talk all things weight loss, including some of the biggest sabotages that we find our women struggle with. So you're going to get three different perspectives from all of us weight loss coaches, and we're about to introduce ourselves. So Siobhan, would you like to kick off with the intro? Sure. So I'm Siobhan Key. I'm a family physician and an obesity medicine physician. And I am the host of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. So my passion in life is helping physicians figure out how to go from knowing what they should be doing to actually doing it consistently on a daily basis, even during those super busy weeks, so that they reach their goals and that they don't have to constantly be obsessing about food. 
I am Matea Rentia. I'm an internal medicine primary care physician, and I am the co-host of the Weight Loss for Life podcast. And our program really helps busy women to overcome emotional eating, to finally figure it out in a way where they are able to understand things on a different level where they're not having to use chronic dieting to get what they really want. I'm Kerry Williams and I'm Matea's business partner. So we set up the Weight Loss Coaching Collective together and we also host the Weight Loss for Life podcast. So my background is that I'm a weight loss coach, but I'm also an EFT tapping practitioner. So I do a lot of emotional freedom technique in our program. And that's really one of the the biggest things that we bring into emotional eating and binge eating as well. So it's a really interesting topic. Lovely. Mm -hmm. So fascinating. We were talking about what is the one thing that we'd recommend for people who are really busy and they just don't have the time for weight loss. This is one of the biggest things that comes up in our community. So I'm really curious to hear what you all think about that one. This one's huge in my community too with physicians. And I believe I'm actually currently creating a masterclass on this exact topic, how to lose weight when you have no time as a physician, because it's huge. And here's what I think and how I approach it is that I think we've been told it all wrong. <laughs> it's essentially the answer is that we've been taught that weight loss should be hard, that it should take a lot of time, that there's a whole lot of stuff you have to do in order to eat healthy and lose weight. And I really like teaching people to question all of that. I think that we have that construct in our minds from diet culture. So then when we go to lose weight, it becomes that way. It's like we have to do all the meal prep and have like the Instagram photos where it's all in your fridge and all the labeled containers. And the problem with that is that as soon as we hit a really busy week, all that goes out the window and we're like, I don't have time to do that. Therefore, I can't be successful. I really try to teach the people that I'm coaching and working with on let's find the simplest, the easiest way. And let's question where our brains tell us that we have to do more in order to do it. Because really, when you boil it down, the actual food choices between making less unhealthy choice and a healthy choice that might support your goals don't actually usually take much different time. I learned this myself when my twins were really little and I was in the habit of in the morning I could get them all ready and then I like had no time for myself. So on the way to the office, I'd be like, I have no time for breakfast, so I'll go through the drive-thru. And then one morning in the drive-thru, I was so angry at the drive-thru because it was taking too long and they were so slow. And I'm like, I have no time for this. And then I'm sitting there waiting in the drive-thru thinking, I could have eaten breakfast at home like so much more quickly than this. And I realized the whole idea that I was saving myself time by hitting the drive-thru was not true. There were a hundred different ways I could feed myself in the morning that took less time than the drive-thru, but I didn't recognize it until I gave up the idea that that convenience food was actually faster. I love that you said that. I'm sitting here laughing because I'm like, I can relate on all of that. I think the other thing that I offer to people, it's it's exactly the, you know, easy, but then, you know, you're spending your time doing something. And so I think the important thing is you have to really question, look, maybe it will actually initially might take a little bit more effort in the beginning because you're totally creating new pathways of thinking. And there is some effort that goes into a little bit of consciousness, right? And so I say, where can you find those 5, 10, 15 minutes? Is there something that maybe does not mean that much in your life right now. Maybe you can watch a few less minutes of Netflix or it's like we need to start to look at 
I really recommend when people start working with us, write out a little time audit of what you're doing because we often say we're busy all the time, but then we realize I actually have four hours at night and I keep telling myself I have no time, but that's not necessarily true. And so could this really matter the most that you get in tune with your body again, that you start to feel better. Maybe you have so much more energy that then you don't need as much sleep or all these other things will change because you chose to prioritize this for just a little period of time. But like you said, it's usually much easier than what we think. When we do all the things at once, nothing sticks around. And so generally pick one little thing to start, make a little bit of time for that one thing, and you will make it so much further in the process. Yeah, I'm sitting here laughing as you're talking about that because that's the kind of thought process that I've had very recently as a mom of a newborn. I went into that state of mind. I've got no time. I've got no time. How can I figure this out? And actually, I realized I was spending so much time spinning in my head and thinking about all the stuff I was overwhelmed with. (laughs) I could have been doing a lot more in that time. So it's really funny how our brains work, isn't it? But I think I love all of your perspectives on that. And I completely agree. And I think just one thing I'd add to that is The concept of throwing out everything that you've done before, I think is a great waste. And sometimes we don't recognize all of the things that have worked and all of the things that have been successful. So I really think it's really beneficial to actually do a little bit of a a kind of exploration of what have you done in the past? Maybe you've tried a certain style of eating, you know, maybe low carb, there were elements of that maybe that worked for you. Maybe there was a bit of paleo that worked for you. Maybe there was a bit of vegetarian that worked for you. You know, maybe it was that you had specific snacks or you had certain desserts that actually you really liked and they really worked. So if you can identify all those things that you've had experiencing, it's almost like a skills audit for your professional life, right? Like in weight loss, what has been good for me? What can I bring over? What do I want to keep? And I also think that comes to food choices as well, because so often we think it's a lot because we've got to change everything. But actually, you know, maybe there's some meals that you have that you can have a slight tweak on and make it to be more fuel and nourishment for your body. And it's actually almost the same meal. You've just done a couple of little tweaks. So you're not changing everything and throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, everything is it's just like a little upgrade and you're taking all that great knowledge with you that you've already got along the way. So yeah, I think that that's a really good one as well. I really love the idea of like tweaking the meals you already have. I talk about that a lot more in my obesity medicine practice where we do more of a lower carb approach of like you go online and it looks like it all has to be different and it's all brand new recipes and people get overwhelmed. But the reality is pretty much everything that we eat, you can eat to lose weight. It's just modifying it slightly like what you're saying, a little more veg, a little less starch if you're going low carb, maybe a little more real food in simple ways that are like as easy as something that comes out of a package. And looking for those, I think is great. So binge eating, this is a a bit of a hot topic as well. And I understand Siobhan in your community, you talk quite a lot about binge eating. And I know that we've got some approaches that we teach. So I'm really keen to hear your take on it as well. Matea, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, so I think one of the main things we really stress is this. So first of all, if you really have a history of binge eating, which we're not going to get in all the definition and everything, but there's a difference between overeating versus binging. But if you have been told that you have that as a diagnosis, the first thing that we really stress is we're not going to sit there and focus on weight loss. So there are other parts of the relationship that need to be healed here, that need to be worked on. And often what we see when clients come to us is that they maybe have worked with people in the past that really stressed weight loss and made it even worse. And so we are going to have to work on a few other things first. Is there anything that 
you really help people with initially when they come in and this is something that they're bringing in? I think really similar in that I talk about stabilization of the eating. And I talk about how like when you're binging, you're binge restricting, right? So like you're having times where you're having a binge where you feel really out of control with your eating. And then generally it follows by the like, okay, I got to do better. I got to be extra careful. And when you are actively trying to lose weight while you're actively having binge eating, it triggers just more swings because then you you restrict a little harder to try to compensate for things that have already been eaten. And then it pushes you back up into the next binge. And so I kind of picture it like a sine wave. And the way I talk to people about it is it's we're, it's about kind of stabilizing it. With binge eating, I don't think a goal and everybody that comes in because binge eating is so attached to shame. It's in the definition of binge eating disorder. There's shame and there's guilt attached to it that people come in wanting it to just be gone. They view it as something wrong with them. They view it as something that shouldn't be in their life. And that's not the reality. The way I think about it is it's a coping mechanism your brain learned at some point. The binge eating itself is like a a symptom of other stuff and your brain's trying to fix the other stuff with the binging. The problem is, is the binging doesn't actually fix it and it can create other things. And so the goal is to not get rid of it because it's when you look at the base of it, it's kind of a normal brain response in that it's got good intentions for you with it. The goal is to minimize it. So kind of like as doctors, when people have migraines, what we talk about is let's make them less frequent and let's make them less intense when they do show up. Those are all, these are goals of care. I think of that in binge eating. So it's not that the goal is like never ever have another binge, but the goal is can we make them less common? And then when they happen, can we make them a little less intense where you catch yourself, you can kind of get back to what was working for you a little bit faster. And then once we really feel that that's stabilized, then I think we can talk about weight loss, but it has to be done carefully. And the stabilization of the eating always has to be the priority. And this is what I talk to people of like, if you start to work on weight loss and the binges are going up, it's like we step back and we stabilize the eating before we proceed forward with the weight loss. I think you just have to be extra careful when you've had a history of binge eating. I want to ask you a follow-up on that just real quick, because I find that when women come in, they resist that, right? That we're not going to focus on weight loss. And so how do you talk to them initially to sort of get them bought into, look, this might actually be a way that can be helpful, how we're going to do it? I think it's such a good question. And again, that's just that like... I need to be losing weight right now is just the signs of our diet culture and also the shame stuff that's embedded with the binge eating. So I talk very similar to how we just talked. I don't think it's possible with binge eating to lose weight when you don't have your eating stabilized. I think it ends up where you are putting so much effort in. And I think this is really important to anybody listening who might have binge eating or even just overeating is if you're struggling, it's usually not for lack of effort and it's usually not for lack of willpower. It's just some tweaking with the tools and how we approach it. And I think this is a really, what we're talking about for binge eating of let's stabilize the eating first so then we can go after any goal from a stable platform and your energy you're putting into it is going to be far more better used or far more effective than just really working harder within this like unstable eating platform, which then creates all the like you beat yourself up more because you feel that you're doing something wrong. And like it just creates this huge snowball that makes your life worse. And I'm a huge believer of whatever we're doing to lose weight 
and stabilize our eating and feel better about our eating. It has to make your life better. Our lives are too short and our lives are too busy to like do stuff that makes us feel worse to just accomplish some goal like seeing a number on the scale or wearing a certain size clothes because it won't last. If we hate ourselves and we hate the life we do together, it won't last. That's so true. And I think what's really interesting as well around binge eating is what you were talking about before with that that all or nothing thinking and that binging and restricting. It's such a an intense pattern, I think, with that. And ironically, what I found is that permission is often the very thing that gives us the opening to start to change this and transform it. And yet it is the mm. thing that binge eaters are the most scared of to give themselves permission to possibly binge a little bit. I mean, one of the techniques that we've taught before is to plan ahead for your binge and allow yourself to have the food and set it out and have it feel like it's not too restrictive, but it's not too much. It just feels like a good amount of food for the time I binge. And that process can bring up so much just to give yourself that permission to actually, if I need to do this and minimize this, as you were talking about, I'm going to do this in a more controlled way, but it's really hard for the brain to process that permission piece. This comes up a lot when I talk, even not just binge eating, but just like stress eating stuff. And I'm sure you guys encounter this too, is I talk a lot about no matter what you've eaten, there is no benefit in beating yourself up about it. Beating yourself up and tough love creates more eating. And so even if it's the biggest binge you've ever had in your life, the way forward and the way to minimize it is to actually like speak somewhat nicely to yourself, hold yourself in compassion. And that is, I'd say, one of the hardest shifts that people work on because we've been taught that we're somehow bad by what food we eat or the food we choose to eat defines failure or success. And letting go of it, especially when you have binge eating, it can be so powerful in, in stabilizing your eating. And yet it's one of the biggest things that people resist because I think it's so embedded into us. Yeah, I, I heard a, a quote the other day and it was basically something along the lines of when we can stop making food moral, then we can stop having cheat days and feeling like we need to escape it in, in a way. So I'm wondering, you know, because a lot of our communities overlap in the sense that our women are very stressed and busy. And I'm wondering... What is your sort of number one stress reduction technique? Or do you have sort of a toolkit that you offer to women? I would say probably one of the unique things that I talk about is the concept of micro breaks. So again, if we're thinking like all or nothing, when we're really stressed and we're having a crazy day, we feel like to feel less stressed, we're going to have to invest a whole bunch of time. And we don't then have that time. So then we don't do anything. And then we just get more and more stressed. And so I teach the concept of micro breaks, meaning small little breaks placed throughout your day and being intentional with them. And that can just be two minutes, like doing a two minute guided meditation on your phone, even while, the, and again, I talk to physicians, but even while there's a patient waiting in the room for you, you can take two minutes, do a little something for stress management, which then makes you more efficient as you move forward through your day. And the really interesting piece for anybody listening to this is it doesn't, time's not linear. So that two minutes doesn't then take two minutes out at another part of your day. It's not like you have to sacrifice that two minutes. That two minutes in a busy day is an investment that you will reap the rewards for. You'll get more than two minutes back. But again, just talking about the, the resistance to being nice to yourself. If you're used to just like hustle, work, 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 stopping and pausing is go you're going to get resistance. Your brain is going to be like, yeah, we'll do that another day because look at all the stuff we have to do. And the skill then becomes 
making yourself stop. But how do you guys approach this? So one of the biggest things that we teach is tapping, actually, emotional freedom technique. And it's just huge for stress management. So if you haven't heard of emotional freedom techniques or tapping before, it's a a process where you tap on different meridian points on the body and it's the same points that they use in acupuncture. So instead of putting a needle in, we actually use a light tap with the fingers. And on these points, it actually changes the stress response in the body. It calms the nervous system down. So when we get into that place where all the stress hormones are raging and we're going maybe a little bit possibly into fight or flight, depending on what's going on. This technique can really calm things down. And we can also use it in a proactive way as well. So when you use tapping on a daily basis, if you can, it doesn't take too long. It can just take a minute or two minutes. It can really build up in the system and it can be a way to regulate your stress response throughout the day. So we've got clients who use it on the loo even. It's like a little kind of reminder of, ah, yes, okay, bathroom break. I'm just going to sit here and do a quick tap while I'm doing my business, you know, (laughs) and it's a nice little reminder for them to do that. But, you know, there's all sorts of ways that you can do tapping. So I guess it's similar to you when you were talking about having those micro breaks, but yeah, tapping is, is a wonderful way that I approach that as well. But Matteo, what about you? Because I know that tapping is something that's more my specialism. So you've got great techniques as well. You know, I love what what all of you guys have said. I think the biggest thing is when we name it, we can claim it. Like when you are aware of what's going on, even if you just say, I am feeling stressed right now, it really reduces down the intensity of what's happening. So one of the main ways that we help our women, if you're feeling tired and stressed and overwhelmed, we all know when we're in it. Like we, we're like, oh, this does not feel good. So we're in sort of a flight or flight response at that point. And so one of the first things I always tell our women is, look, your learning brain shuts off at that point. So you're not really able to like access all the ways to take the best care of yourself. So what we offer as a tool within our program, it's something called a compassion pause. And what we say is you notice at that moment when it's happening, it's really the break that you're talking about. But what we tell women is, You pause at that second and what you ask yourself is, what do I really need right now? And it might be that you still go eat that food if you're not hungry. You know, the last part of it is really the permission slip. You can still do whatever you want, but you first just have a second to check in and it starts to build up. We call it emotional strength training, but you start to build up the resilience. I can feel stressed. I can feel tired. This can be happening, but I can still check in and see what's going on. I can still in the moment start to realize where the stress and everything is coming from. Am I packing my days in too much? Like you said, am I not taking those little breaks that I need? Have I not had water in five hours? Like I, So I'm a physician as well, right? I can't tell you before I started doing this work years ago, it would be like five, six hours in the clinic. And I'm thinking, why have I not had a sip of water? This is insane. Or withholding bathroom breaks. And so the compassion pause is not, we sit there and beat ourselves up why we're not doing it. But a really nice check-in, like, what's going on? Hello, what do you need? You know, and just really getting connected. But I really like how you offer those, that it's an investment when we take this time. Because I often think, like you said, if we were to take two minutes to do something in the middle of the day, we probably save ourselves an hour of overeating at night. That's my theory. Do you see that with women? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, I love the idea of tapping. I'm going to talk to you after the podcast about maybe if you're interested in teaching it in my group a bit. But because I love the idea of like things that can soothe us quickly, right? Because once you're in the fight and flight and you're just like, uh, and that really like hectic, frantic energy, the more efficient you can be at soothing. So like, you know, mindfulness, breathing, meditation. I often talk about just go outside. Like again, in my group as physicians, 
people are generally stuck in a box of a hospital or a medical building and may not even see outside. And so like just that physical departure of work, even if it's only for like two minutes to stand outside and see what the sky looks like, that can be powerful. And I agree. I think this is stuff I teach. I have a masterclass that I teach people about evening eating. And I'm a huge believer that the evening eating where we feel so out of control with eating at night, so much of it comes from the fact we are just like jam packing our days, not giving ourselves the grace of having some breaks and some pauses. And so the first time we have a chance to pause, we're already exhausted. And it makes sense that then food as a really easy thing to reach for is what we end up reaching for. It makes total sense. It's nothing going wrong. It's just the place to fix it isn't in the evening. It's not when you're craving the whatever in the evening. The place to fix it is probably way earlier in your day. And even then, when women are starting to create some of those habits and doing some of those new things, sometimes we find that the evening snacking, it's just a relic of a habit, right? So then you need a pattern interrupter. So we actually just had a coach come into our Facebook group and talk about one of the ways to kind of gain awareness is you literally stop walking. And she said, really, you know, scrunch up your toes as hard as you can. And I realized doing that, oh my gosh, I'm suddenly present in my body. It's just a pattern interrupter. You're wanting to go get a snack. You're wanting to go do something different. How can you get into your body at that moment? I think a lot of us are very disconnected from what we're feeling, what we're needing, what we want to do. We think there's so many obligations. So how can you a little bit more be present in the moment? I think the word mindfulness, people are scared about it, but it's really, how can I just literally drop into this moment and see what's good here, see what I can do and be able to make choices from that place and not, I have to do everything and from the overwhelmed place. I was going to ask Carrie what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, a hundred percent. Everything that you have all said, you know, it is that, that busy day and we come to that point where we just need that little moment of stress relief. But something that happens quite a lot in our community as well is for parents when they come home and then they've had the work for the day and then they've also had the work with the family. And so mums come in and they get to that point where it's like nine o'clock at night and then they're only just getting a break at that point. So I think everything that we've spoken about can be really, really helpful. But it's also about recognizing that it's not just our daytime sometimes, but it's also maybe the family obligations that we've got to go through as well. And maybe we need to do a little bit of a, an audit of that in some respects and have a look at you know, our responsibilities. Do we need to ask for more help? Um, you know, because as women, we often take on so much, don't we? Especially when it comes to childcare. So maybe there are other ways that we can bring in more support or create that support for ourselves if, if we've already got that support so that we don't get to the end of the day where we've had to do everything and all we, we really want to do is emotionally eat to soothe all those emotions. Yeah. You know, Carrie, you bring up a good point because I think a little bit of radical honesty is needed here because I know I needed to hire what I called her a mother's helper, but she would come and help me from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. And she would just help watch my toddler so that I could make dinner so I could change. I needed a few days a week that help. And it at first, I really felt less than, well, I should be able to work full time. And then I should be able to come home and do all the children's things. It was too much for me and I needed some help. And so I think that's when you start to look at what the patterns are. You get to see where could I get more help? And then you get to question the mindset of why am I not getting that if I think that could make it easier? 
Totally. And what I was going to say just along the lines of that, the parenting evening stuff is, I think a piece of it, and it totally relates to what you were just saying, Matea, is the guilt that we still carry as working moms, right? Where we feel we need to be like super excelling at work. And when we have little kids, what that usually means is work gets like compressed, right? And we've got like firmer barriers on the end of when we can go to work, when we can get home. But then we come home and we feel slightly guilty, maybe more than slightly for some of us, that we've been at work and that somebody else has been caring for our child. And then we feel we have to make it up in that time frame that we have access. So what I hear from a lot of the physician moms that I coach is it's hard for me. Like, yeah, I'd feel better if I could go take 15 minutes, but I feel guilty because I haven't been home. So even in a setting where they have a partner who's willing to look after the kid, if they were to go do 15 minutes of something to decompress, they don't because of this guilt thing of we need to be doing it all at a super high level. And I think if you notice that in yourself, it's a really good thing to question and just be like, do I? Or is it possible that me modeling this where I actually take a little time out to address what I truly need after a busy day is it possible that that's really good parenting and it's something that I want my kids to take on in their own life so they never actually do this like overdrive type stuff that we do? I, okay, so we talked to a parenting coach and she talked about how maybe times when you lose it at home and when maybe if you ever scream or yell or things like that, that that might actually be a good thing because they can see that you're human. Because she talked about a client of hers that really struggled as a mom because she said, well, my mom never lost it. My mom always had it together. And so could this actually be so human that you show that you need help, that you need these times? The other thing I always say too, because I had this conundrum as a physician that I work and then with the kid at night and I think to myself, but I'm a much better parent when I get a little bit of help. I am so much more present the rest of the time. I don't have the iPad on 24-7. I like spending the time, but it's okay that I need a little bit of me time as well and that work doesn't count. (laughs) I'm not relaxing at work. I need an extra minute and just saying that and being okay with that. And that's okay if other people judge, but that's what my truth is. And that's okay for everyone to learn what their own truth is. I think this is such an important discussion. And yeah, mum guilt is such a huge thing with that, isn't it? And I love that, just labeling it and recognizing it for what it is. And and I think that takes some of the power and the charge out of it somehow, doesn't it? That actually, maybe this is a bit of my mum guilt. Maybe I don't need to feel as guilty in this moment. Do I? That's a great question. Yeah. I think what, so what came up for me just listening to you, Matea, is just the concept that I think a lot of like out of control eating for women, especially is based on this like superhero. (laughs) Like we live a life of being a superhero and we have such, such high expectations for ourselves that it doesn't sometimes leave the space to consider what we actually need. Like coming back to your question of like, what do I really need right now? If we're expecting these superhero levels of ourselves at all times, then it doesn't give us space to actually address those needs. And I really think part of like long-term feeling with peace around food and not always struggling with it is realizing we're not superheroes. Sometimes we need to stop and the world is okay if we do. Sometimes we need to take breaks and the world and our kids and our family and everything else will be okay if we do. Maybe even better off. 
sometimes doing like just being is better than doing. And as I say this, this is something I'm still working on for myself. So it's like an ongoing life process. But I think it's for it's a huge thing that idea of how good we should be in our every aspect of our life. Eating is often the place where the cracks start to show. Okay, I love that you brought up being sometimes is better than doing. And you know, the other thing, I don't think that pe- that women realize sometimes that they're trying to do the superhero thing. I don't think that they've listed out, look, I go work these hours, I come home, I do the laundry, I do the dishes. Like if you actually listed it out, you would feel like you would feel amazing, but they never give themselves the credit, right? And so part of the power, I think, of probably being in your community or our community is that you get to see that other women are going through that. And there's a real power in, you can so easily see it in someone else. So if you're sitting on a group call, you're like, oh my gosh, I see it, right? But then you can think, oh, but am I doing this? And suddenly it's so clear, right? So I think being in the room where people are willing to have these conversations and acknowledging this is not just like I stop eating. This is, I need to work on these other areas and there's more that's going on here. Yeah, I love what you say about that. Something that really blew my mind recently actually was I was reading a book and it wasn't related to weight and eating at all. It was related to money. But this coach in this book was talking about actually... If you really quantified everything that you did as a parent, so and as a mum, so maybe you you go to work, maybe you run a business, maybe you do both, and then maybe you come home. And if you're in a traditional role as a mum, maybe you're also doing the housekeeping, maybe you're also doing the mum duties, maybe you're also doing the cleaning, you know, or you might share some of those. If you actually quantified and tried to think about how much it would cost to hire out or get someone in for all of those different roles it adds up to an awful lot. And I think she added up to around average of 100K in America to hire some people into your house to do all of those things. And that's just unpaid labor that, you know, women, even for ourselves, we don't recognize that this, these are jobs. Other people do this for a living. And so we've got many, many jobs and many roles, don't we, as women? It's a huge amount of pressure that we put ourselves under. So this is actually a perfect segue because I think often women think, well, I'm a failure because I can't do this with food or, you know, whatever area it is. So I'd be curious, what do you say to those women? I'm just going to leave it there. For the women who feel like they're failing all the time, that they have some great resistance starting yet another weight loss program. I mean, haven't, you know, so many of our women in our community, they've done the diets, they've done the pills, they've done the shakes, they've done the nutritionists, you know, they've done the functional medicine and, you know, all, all the things. So I think one of the things that we really need to recognize possibly, and it kind of ties into what I was saying before, is that perhaps they weren't all failures to begin with. And you've possibly learned something from each of those experiences, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And it's really just been a journey and perhaps it's been a long journey and that we can recognize is a hard path and it has been a hard path, but that doesn't mean it has to be that way in the future. So especially if you take that shame and that guilt out of the fact that you have possibly had that long, hard journey, but you can take those learning experiences and use those in a constructive way to bring that forward into the future. I think it can really change things a lot. So yeah, that's that's just my thoughts on that. I love that so much. And I actually did a podcast episode a couple of months ago on exactly that. Like we view previous weight loss attempts as this big waste of time, waste of energy, waste of everything. And that it reflects on us as an individual. And yet there's so much wisdom. And when we're viewing it as failure, as it, it never should have been that way, as we should have done it better, we can't access that wisdom that you're talking about, Carrie. And so I think changing that conversation is what we're talking about, about like weight is a challenge. There isn't an easy fix, no matter what we've been told. 
I 100% believe with all my knowledge and everything I've done that mindset coaching type approach is a lot of the answers that we've been looking for, but it's still a complex issue. And so, you know, I 100% love coaching. I think it's so powerful. I think we can completely change our relationship with food. We can completely change how it feels to make a food decision that may feel like so hard right now. We can change that where it becomes so much simpler, but there's still going to be bumps in the road. There are always going to be some obstacles that you're going to hit. And so just because you've had them in the past doesn't mean you're not going to be successful moving forward. I truly believe, I think it's so important to change how we talk about ourselves, about our past attempts and what we perceive as failure. And then one of the big skills that I teach that I think is essential in long-term weight management is the skill of getting yourself back on track. Because we can assume there will be places we stumble and where we've gone wrong in the past and where kind of the diet culture has gone wrong is telling us that when we stumble, we did something wrong and we're never going to be successful. I like to change it to like, of course you are. There are always going to be vacations where all of a sudden you eat something that you didn't plan or there's going to be life events like pandemics, which throw you for a loop and old habits come back. And if we keep building the skill of when you catch yourself, when you identify it, and you can get yourself back on track in the simplest, easiest, most compassionate way, then that's when it becomes way more successful for the long term. Gosh, that is all so good. I think the only thing I want to add here is that... So first of all, we definitely... like I don't use the word failure. I feel like there's other words to use for it, right? Off-plan eat, things that are less charged. But I think the biggest thing is that we have to start to redefine success. So if you are viewing failure that I'm not losing two to three pounds a week, I didn't lose 50 pounds in six months, whatever it is, can we start to redefine what success would be that maybe the weight I lose stays off, that it actually works in my life? When you were saying before, you know, that you actually like to do these things, that you want to keep doing these things, could that be success and not just the number that comes off? And so I think that whenever the word failure is involved, I think what needs to be examined is what exactly the definition is. And then what can we actually look at as successful so that you can start to realistically achieve that? I love that. This has been such a fascinating discussion. And I think there's been a lot of talk of, you know, some of the things that are the biggest blocks for women to get started on this journey. You know, it's the expectation of failure. It's overcomplicating things, a perfectionist kind of mindset that comes into it all. So with all that in mind, I wonder if we've got maybe just one top tip that we can share for women that might help them to get started in the easiest way possible. Okay, there's a million things I could say, but this is the first place I want to start is that you do not need to do massive big action to make progress long term. So I would say that you look at where you're at right now and you ask yourself, what are you 10 out of 10 willing to do to start to move in the direction you want. That could be that you increase your water a little bit. That could mean that I'm just going to ask myself if I'm hungry before the meal. We call these kind of 1% upgrades. What is the smallest thing that you're willing to do? Allow yourself to start to acknowledge the wins, accept the wins, and move forward with that. Stop making this, I'm going to overhaul the whole meal plan. I'm going to get to the gym an hour. It's like feeling your body when you say that. Is it horrifying? I suspect it is. So just look at what's the one little thing that I'm willing to do, the 1% upgrade this next week, and then check in in a week from now and see how that goes. 
I think that's fantastic. And then I'd say my biggest one tip is to question everything. I think that's, there's a huge amount of power. Our brain falls into these patterns of like, this is how it needs to be. If I'm losing weight, there's so much power into just questioning it and being like, you know, if you notice something that you think is important for you to lose weight or to eat more healthy and you have a huge amount of resistance where you're like, I don't want to, let's use the time example. Like if you're like, okay, I want to eat healthy and your brain's like, well, I don't have the time to meal prep every week. Just questioning how else could I accomplish this goal? What are the other ways I could accomplish this goal that honors my time that I truly have in real life and what I'm working on for myself. And the more you ask yourself questions, I love the question of how could I let this be easy? Meaning often our brain wants to overcomplicate it. How could I let this be more enjoyable? Those can be like really, really powerful questions that you've probably never asked yourself around weight loss topics before. I love that. It's so powerful. Yeah. Really only thing that I'd, I'd probably throw into all of those two tips you guys have just given there is Really asking yourself the question of, is this something that I actually want to genuinely commit to forever, potentially? Is this really a strategy that is actually something that I want to do possibly for the rest of my life, or at least for this season of my life? Maybe there's, you know, some health issue that you're working through. So, you know, maybe it's okay to commit to this for that. But really what we want to see is is something that's lifelong change. So, you know, if you start running, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to get to a marathon at some point? Is that really what you want? Do you really want to never eat chocolate again? Do you really want to never have a piece of bread again? You know, and if the answer to that is no, then the question is, well, how do I work this in in a way that actually helps my body? It supports my body. It nourishes me. I get all the things that I need and I can do that. Or maybe I really genuinely commit to saying, right, you know what? I'm done with chocolate. I'm done with bread. I've had so much. It hasn't been good for my health. That's it. So whatever the answer is for you, I think it's just really important to know that this is the thing that I'm happy to do forever and not just try on another Band-Aid solution with a diet that it just tends to be a short-term solution, unfortunately, for so many women. So, so important. Definitely. It has to be something you can keep doing. Yeah. We often refer to it as uh, the forever plan in our program. So what is your forever plan? Is this part of your forever plan? So yeah, which of course, it's always going to evolve and change, but as long as it's something that you really want to actually do. So I've loved this conversation. I think we've covered so many great topics and I know that the women in our community are going to get so much value from this. So thank you so much for your time today, Siobhan. It's been really wonderful talking to you. So do you want to let everyone know, you know, at least for our community, whereabouts they can find out more about you and your work? Totally. Yeah. Thanks for spending the time with me too, guys. It's fascinating or it's so fun to sit and talk to people who have, you know, very similar approaches to such a challenging topic. So people can find me, probably the easiest way for them to get to know me is on the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. We're at like episode 180 now or something. So there's so much information and content there. Or they can head over to the website, which is weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. And how about you guys? Where do people find you? Yeah, so you can find uh, all of the information on our website. It is thewlcc.com. And we also have the Weight Loss for Life podcast. We've also got a new program coming shortly, which is the School of Sustainable Weight Loss, which we're really excited about. We're kind of taking all of our knowledge and packaging up into a, a new school that is coming soon. And so we're going to be sharing details of that on our podcast very shortly. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Okay, I really enjoyed my time talking to Matea and Carrie. I think they have such similar approaches to everything that I teach. 
and it was really interesting to hear just the subtle different viewpoints and subtle different ways of approaching things. And I hope that this interview was really helpful for you. I'm sure that it was. It's packed with really good information. It might be one that you want to listen to more than once because you might not absorb everything that was said in this interview the first time through. So I encourage you to do that if you enjoyed it. I want to thank them for coming on the podcast. Make sure you check out their podcast as well, which is Weight Loss for Life and check them out at the Weight Loss Coaching Collective. And if you are a physician and you loved what you heard, if this made you go, man, maybe I could lose weight in a way that feels totally different from how I've done it before with diets, then make sure you check out Stress Eating SOS. As I mentioned at the beginning, the doors are open right now. When this episode is released, they will be open for the rest of the week. So head over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash SOS. Stress Eating SOS is for any physician who feels they know what they should be doing, but just can't actually get themselves to do it. So if you've ever said to yourself, I know what to do, why can't I just do it? I got the answers for you and I've got the tools and they're all inside Stress Eating SOS. So come join us, weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash SOS. We'll see you there. Have a fantastic week and thank you for listening.